Where's How's Sam? Him? Is he? Sorry, I'm, I'm. Yeah, sorry. You, you get I'm back just... to your text message. I'll introduce you. Thanks. He's on the road between Geelong and Warrnambool. Oh no! Nice. He's trying to he's trying to delay his next meeting so that we can finish recording this, like, <laughs> and then he can finish driving to it and still be there. There you go. So, so you're not going to attempt to uh, podcast and drive at the same time. I suspect that the internet will drop out. Ah, uh, yeah. I did think about it. You wouldn't want to do that in Victoria, would you? Yeah, I've got to get to... I, yes, no. What's the worst thing that could happen? You could be like not allowed to leave the state or something. Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast with a Catholic speecher. Speecher. <laughs> Hello. It's going to be Here one of go. them again. Here we go again. Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast with a Catholic speaker, an insultant engineer, and a Catholic priest. That's right, Marty. You're not a consultant engineer. You're an insultant engineer. That's that's quite that's quite apt, really. I like that. <laughs> How you doing? Good, good, good. Public we'll holiday. Public holiday today. Oh, in so... WA it is not the rest of Australia, but you consider yourself as an autonomous yeah, state. Well... Pretty much, yeah. It's getting it's getting worse as well. There's a wax it party now for the upcoming election. <laughs> yeah. Not sure how many votes they'll get, but yeah, it's all um all well and good while the oil price is high. But you know, you don't really have much else. No, crayfish. It's a two. Uh, no, there's two. There's two parts to the economy. There's iron ore, and there's oil and gas. Occasionally, the West Coast Eagles. <laughs> I was, just, I was just going to say, I was looking up earlier and saw this carving of a, um, what's it called, the the, the you preach from on an altar? Pulpit. The, the pulpit? pulpit? Ambo? A, yeah. A, one of those in a, the, the Ambo. church. Ambo. Not like yeah, that, 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 that's another name for the pulpit thing. Okay. A pulpit carved out of wood in um, Brussels, which is quite amazing. And it's just like a three-story pulpit. And on the top of it, there's... A serpent with Jesus and Mary both holding this massive long spear that's got a cross at the other end, about to um, stab it in the head. They don't build them like they used to. <laughs> but it's um it's cooled right down here. It's twenty eight today, and there's a, there's been some rain. But uh, yeah, I'm still still wearing shorts and uh, thongs. But other people in my family are wearing track pants and things because um hasn't quite got to the uh, the big three zero. It's a cold day if it's twenty eight. Yep. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sitting in the car on the side of the highway, halfway between Geelong and Warrnambool, and it is about sixteen degrees and scattery cold showers coming through. So, a very typical southwestern Victorian day. It's even it's worse than Tassie. Tassie was nice when I left. Mm. Well, Darwin's doing what Darwin always does. I I'm on my day off today, so I celebrated the early mass and i thought i might go out and do some exercise and then i looked at the weather and it was 96 percent humidity i was like no i think that's a stupid idea <laughs> have you had that thought every day for the last six months pretty much <laughs> yeah. so how do you and i thought i thought i'll go do some exercise and then thought no i'm in darwin <laughs> i'll yes. go to the shopping center so what do you normally what does a day off normally look like for you father dave uh intense recovery normally i'm trying as hard as possible not to talk to anybody because I'm such an introvert. <laughs> and, at, 
at the end of a Sunday after when the just, weekend, <laughs> when I've just been talking to so many people. I'm just like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to face humanity. <laughs> Yeah. And then I'm normally I'm fine by Tuesday. So. And obviously for the listeners, you can probably pick up, we're recording this one on a Monday. So Father Dave, at uh, it's uh, mid-afternoon at this point. So you've had a bit of time in the morning to not talk. Yeah. Yeah. But how do you go? You've got other, is there one other priest in your parish? Do you? Uh, yeah, there's an assistant here. He's, he's currently away at the moment. Oh. So, yeah. When he's there, do you? coordinate days off or do you well or is it always mondays uh it's normally monday yeah it just works out easier so the rest yeah. of the week just kicks on yeah don't come monday i don't know who chose this it wasn't me but someone chose we're going to do discipleship today father dave do you and your assistant priest to an extent disciple each other or is there a fair bit of space at that level you let each other do your own thing Ah, uh, well we we live together and therefore we are probably encouraging each other in the journey of the faith but in terms of intentionally discipling each other no do you find that as the parish priest you you know need to put your foot down and uh assert your authority very often no i try not to do that (laughs) he didn't ask you whether you tried (laughs) no comment (laughs) it's early in the year we haven't seen (laughs) who knows what what could happen (laughs) yes the year is but young Mm. If you've got any issues, just bring Marty up to go into liturgy council and you'll be okay. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, the uh, insultative uh, engineer, whatever it was. <laughs> yep, that's about it. So who chose yeah. this as a theme? Because oh, I, I wanted to do I wanted to do really good books. I wanted to do one on, on the great books that have inspired us and we could recommend, but I got vetoed. Well, it, it was because I was reading a good book and uh, <laughs> it was on Discipleship. <laughs> And I suggested to Marty that this could be a good flow on from all the other stuff we've been talking about recently in terms of sacraments and everything else. Yeah, Marty's just holding up there on the oh, screen. Sorry, I missed that, Marty. Can you hold it back up? What's it called? Intentional Disciples. Forming Intentional Disciples. Yeah. It's um, Sherry Waddell. One of those books which I've heard lots of talks about, but I actually finally sat down and read, read it last week. My old man sent it to me. He said, go and read this. So I left it on my shelf for months. And then Father Dave brought it up while we were planning this. Well, you were doing something, Sam. I got a text from you and you were busy. So I saw that with Dave and then here we are. But once again, even better than reading it, I just read the three pages that Father Dave um, recommended and, and now we can talk about it. <laughs> He's done his research. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in that three pages. Um, faith's important to sacraments. Is that it? Boom. Mike's maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we should start at the beginning. <laughs> And, oh, uh, the bits I haven't read. <laughs> <laughs> how about I? How about I ask the questions this time, and then we can go from there. So, uh, define discipleship, Marty. Following Jesus. Oh, come on. Oh, no, no, don't, don't throw rocks, Sam. You know, participate. <laughs> if you want to participate, you know. Well, maybe say, yeah, come on, Sam. Give give us a, a more in depth. Uh... Oh, I just I just expect a little bit more. I think that's a good. That's. That's it's a good he- heading. Yes. Oh, it's at its core, at its heart. But I think we would need to add on to that following Jesus with others. So journeying towards Christ with others and drawing others into that relationship, introducing them to Christ and introducing them to the life of Christ. Growing in love. I think that's a pretty good definition. His bit or my add-on at the end? Well, you know, you're a good team. <laughs> it's all right. Nice. <laughs> Tag. 
but no, I, I've been thinking about this because both of you guys have, you know, obviously got a very strong faith. What was the point when you decided to go all in to follow Jesus as opposed to just being on the sidelines, being curious? Well, mine was in the McFarlane's household. So this was actually in, in Marty's house with his family. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, York Street, Sandy Bay at the time where they used to live. And it was actually doing a, a Life in the Spirit seminar. Marty invited me along to it. I assumed that meant he'd be there. It was an assumption. It was incorrect. He was instead upstairs doing the assignment I should have been doing. I didn't feel at the time that there was any need to clarify that too much. <laughs> yeah. So I did a Life in the Spirit seminar, and I, I actually found it quite confronting when we actually looked at what Jesus taught and what Scripture taught. And at the end of it, it was about seven or eight weeks, at the end of it, it was actually Marty's dad handed me an A4 sheet of paper that had everything written down on it that we had covered in that seven to eight weeks. And I, I agreed with everything that was on this piece of paper, but at the bottom of it, it said, I give my life to Jesus. And you had to sign it and date it. And I actually faked it. As in, I did the, I did the hand movement, but I didn't actually put pen to paper because I, I think I was scared that if I gave my life to God, that God was going to ask me to do stuff I did not want to do with my life. I'd end up with a boring life. And I went home that night and was so confronted with the fact that I didn't sign it and I couldn't give a justifiable reason as to why I didn't sign that piece of paper. You didn't even put an X on it or? No, no, just just a, a ghost sign a, a couple of millimetres above the page. Yeah, we couldn't go to sleep that night. Confronted with do I actually trust God? Or is it a case of, I believe all this is true, but I'm still going to walk my own path. So that, that was a real turning point. In the end, I did sign the piece of paper. I have no idea where that piece of paper is, but there was a genuine commitment made or a handing over at that point. And the amazing thing is- in Jesus that, has got it. It's in his yep, heart. In that confusion, I did a, a Bible roulette. I just reached my Bible whilst not being able to sleep, opened it up and happened to open up to what I think might be Isaiah, but it's uh, turn your spears into plowshares. Is that Isaiah? Yep. yep. Which at that point really did speak into that moment of, of stop fighting, yeah. let go, like choose the humble path. So that, that was the really significant. Is it really good of Jesus to use a farming analogy for you? Considering <laughs> for your a farmer, something stuff, I'd understand. You'd, you'd yes. understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then headed off and did uh, a number of years with Youth Mission Team Australia uh, and then through the walk around the world and then a lot of stuff that's happened since then. I think each of those have provided opportunities to go deeper or opportunities to change direction in some way. After that, when Jesus asked you to walk around the world and all the stuff that went on with that, and, and you thought you thought he might want you to do something that you don't want to do. I have to clarify this for everyone. I don't... There was never a point where I felt that God said, Sam, I want you to walk around the world. What I genuinely felt that God was asking me to do was to pray for the complete unity of the church in truth and in love. That is what I felt that God asked me to do. I started doing that and a lot of people just refused to. They'd, they'd be saying things like, no, we'll be united when you guys read your Bible properly, or we'll be united when they finally receive the Holy Spirit. There's always an excuse as to why, no, well, I'm right. You just need to go and talk to them. 
or unit to fix your path. The walk around the world was really my, was it Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the theologian who said that our vocation in life is where our great passion in life and the world's great need collide. Mm. Well, my great love growing up was adventure, going up through the mountains and even dragged you up there a few times, Marty, to dive into rivers that were freezing cold. That was interesting. It was, yes. I think we actually both, neither of us swear that much, but I do distinctly (laughs) remember, I think I'm being charitable there. Yeah, I, I do remember though, thinking that we both heard each other swear underwater. <laughs> it was so it might have just been a scream. After falling off a log. I remember after that. jumping off a log into a water hole up in the mountains of Tasmania. It was beautiful. Your brother was smarter. He just sat there and watched. Mm. Yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> mm. How we get on to that? Walking around the world. That love was adventure. And it was more of a case of... I was looking at a world's map and my faith hero was St. Francis of Assisi because of how sold out he was for God and looking at a world map and thought, I would love to sell everything that I own, walk around the world, praying for unity. But I understood that that was an extreme decision. And this ties in back with the, the theme of discipleship. At that point, I thought, well, I'm going to set out five people who I consider further down their faith walk than myself. And I'm going to pitch this idea to them. And if all five, and this is the deal I made with God. God, I want to do this, but I don't know if it's just me wanting this or whether you think it's okay for me to do this or you're asking me to do this. So Lord, if, if you get all five of them to say yes to this extreme idea, I'm in. Because I already want to do it, but I understand that maybe it's not what I'm being called to do. And all five said yes. The last person I met with, God rest his soul, was Colin Sutton. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the founder of the Disciples of Jesus community and of Youth Mission Team. Yeah. And I pitched the idea to him. And he just smiled and said, Sam, it's, it sounds too stupid to be anything but from God. Go for it. <laughs> and that, that was the final one. The others, some of the others I met, well, bishops included, had a lot more to say and had a lot of input into what the mission would look like. Mm. There, there was a lot of collaboration at that point. And then there were people helping me throughout the journey as well. And Father Dave uh, was the at the top of the food chain as far as support on the ground that constant discipleship of actually you were a deacon at the time but actually actually you're a brother to begin with you then yeah. became a deacon you're ordained yeah, to the diaconate right. partway through the journey so you, you're sending through spiritual and physical advice and, and to me that was a really beautiful example of discipleship in that it was quite balanced in the everything from it's going to be really cold the next few days i did some research buy some chocolate it helps your brain cells to function a little bit better. Eat lots of chocolate in the really cold stuff through to some really intense spiritual advice as well. I just want to go back to, I'll do this deal, God. I want to do this. So I'm going to ask five of you guys. And if no one says no, I'm going to do it. That's not quite yeah. what, how you introduced it, but that's what you described afterwards. <laughs> yes. Yep. Nice. No, I feel I felt it was stacked. Again, so I, I, I wasn't going to make it overly easy for myself these are people who they were all settled they weren't my Mm. 25 26 year old mates at the time (laughs) yeah well they did i asked a few friends about it and they were all like oh can i join you i'd love to do that so no i thought i'd ask people who were were quite settled in their faith walk and considered in their thought process and and basically yeah if no one says no Mm. i'll do it yeah so it was Mm. yours marty i do know part of yours well i was just 
trying to think how to answer that while you were going through that long-winded um, answer of your own. It's the only um, way I know how to answer it. <laughs> I think if I look back on my life, I think there's sort of these steps of making these commitments to Jesus, which each sort of time I think it's whole and then discover later on that there's still more for me to give. But I mean, in my context, I was born on a Tuesday and I went to Mass on Sunday and I've been to Mass every every Sunday since. When I was, I don't know, 16, 17 or something, this concept of giving my life to Jesus, same same sort of um, setting, I suppose. I was at a summer school, but I never really heard that concept before, but I just thought that was a great idea. So uh, I didn't fake sign or anything. I just, in fact, I don't <laughs> think anyone signed when we were there, just made a verbal commitment, which, um, you know, verbal contracts are just as good as uh, written contracts. You better have a chat to your dad about that then. <laughs> But I will say I've been um, I've been reading Augustine's Confessions, and he talks a lot about you know Lord, you you walked with me even though even when I wasn't walking with you, kind of thing. And I do recognise a bit of that in my life. Even since then, you know, I've done lots of stuff and pursued career and this kind of thing, and and really recognise the hand of the Lord in that. Even at times when I was, you know, maybe not as uh, committed as as I could have been, and then come to these points where where the Lord asks for a bigger commitment, and I'd like to think that I say yes at those times, <laughs> and then later on discover that there's more yes to give. There's always a bigger yes to give. Yeah. How about you, Father Dave? Yeah, I, I was um, chatting with our youth leaders recently. I was trying to explain to them how you know we're actually trying to get the young kids in the youth group to make a commitment to Christ, and realizing that probably most of our leaders haven't done that really, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, it's not the sort of language we normally hear in a Catholic church. You know, there's this sort of this assumption that you just go to church and if you're at church, that's good enough. We measure people's faith by whether they're practicing Catholics and never actually ask any deeper questions about, mm. you know, do they actually pray? Do they surrender their life to God? I, I think I had gone through a number of stages where, you know, same thing. You know, I'd always gone to church on Sundays. I was part of a youth group since I was 13. But, yeah, it was all just a, a concept, really. Like I was, I was enjoying Christianity, but I don't think I actually knew Jesus. But I think it was when I was at first year uni, I just started really questioning everything about my faith, which probably could have gone either way, I suppose. But thankfully, I think I, I, I came across the right people and the right books and things to, you know, deepen that questioning. And I just started to realize, hang on, there's a whole lot that I've missed, you know, that I haven't actually understood. Yeah, like I think I just went to that stage of saying, okay, I'm curious, like I really want to know more. You know, I'm, I'm genuinely open to trying to imitate, you know, some of these holy heroes. You know, Sam was talking about Francis of Assisi. You know, that was mm. a big influence on my life as well. It was like kind of that question, is it, is it possible to live that sort of faith that he lived? But yeah, like I think there was then a clear moment where I just said, okay, I'm all in, you know, like I, and that was probably mm. around the time I stepped onto doing youth mission team. I think that was the decisive moment where I just said, okay, God, I'm yours from here on. I'm all in. I'm ready to be a martyr. Yeah. I love, I love two words that you, you use there, Father Dave, to tie these back in with discipleship, questioning and imitating. Mm. So in that sense of, of discipleship, where you're either questioning together and I'll be honest, with the two of you in private, there's probably two different forms of question. With Marty, when we <laughs> chat on the phone, there's 
questioning where we are questioning the same thing together and then somehow fumbling towards an answer. But with you, Father Dave, it's quite different because I actually automatically assume that you're probably going to know the answer, whether that's right or not. <laughs> the, the, the questions are formed differently because I'm actually asking a more pointed question because I, I'm actually looking for an answer. Whereas with Marty and I, we're kind of, we're almost posing questions to then talk about and flesh out. Mm. Yeah. So, but, they're, but they're both questions. Yeah. But in that, that sense of discipleship and going deeper in the faith, it's having, some, it's having those around us who we question deliberately with. Yeah. And, and I love receiving those questions because it makes me ask stuff that I've never asked myself before. So, mm. you know, people assume the priest knows the answer, but a lot of the time I'm stalling because I'm trying to work it out. <laughs> you know, like, but it's... <laughs> And I, but I, I particularly... stalling answers sound so good. <laughs> but I, I particularly love it when people ask me stuff that I've never thought about before, or, or stuff that challenges my worldview. And isn't that I'm good so... though that you don't have to actually know the exact answer, a scripted answer? You can work it out from first principles. Sometimes you go back mm. and you can be thinking, well, Saint Thomas Aquinas said this, and Saint Augustine said this, and Jesus said this, this, and this. So therefore, first principles is such an engineering term, isn't it? <laughs> so does every does not everyone use that term? I don't. I don't know. I, don't, I know we do. <laughs> first principles: being able to to work out an answer using the information at hand. Mm. So let me tell you, my wife a month back or something text message a survey kind of thing, trying to say what is peace. What does peace mean to you? And so, so she was not being bombarded with marketing stuff and surveys. I'll I'll add that to the mix. I think yep. it's gone in now. But um, <laughs> but she asked she asked our son, and he just quick as a flash, he goes complete surrender to the will of God. Wow! <laughs> and with they go, yeah, that that sounds that sounds awesome. Yeah, just yeah, go with that. <laughs> Your son's become really challenging lately, and I mean that in a good way. He's become quite challenging in the sense where I feel like he's just overtaken us. So he has just completed yesterday the the one year of St. Bridget prayers, where 15 prayers a day for 365 days that um, that Jesus appeared to St. Bridget in Rome, I think, because she was asking him, how many, how many wounds did you get during the crucifixion, during the Passion? And eventually he appeared to her and said this number of 15 thousand or something no 1500 i can't remember the number anyway it's 365 times 15 and he said say these 15 prayers if you want to honor each one of the wounds so these 15 prayers every day for a year and by the end of the year you will have honored every one of my wounds i just looked at that when he started and thought that's just an amazing massive undertaking like i couldn't do that i don't know how he's going to do it but he finished it he finished it yesterday now your son listens to this podcast doesn't he he does. Can I say, gee, I owe you, or we'll say a gift up to $20 because... Um, oh, did you bet him he wouldn't finish it? No, I think I said to you up front, he won't do that. <laughs> Look at the promises. I, I was so... When he, when he got halfway through and he was still going, at that point, I was, I was paying attention. I genuinely couldn't believe that he was persevering you have my with attention. That. Yeah. yeah. The promises associated with that are quite amazing. I can't remember them all, but you read through them and you go, wow, that, that, is, uh, that is worthy of... A, yeah, no, uh, I think the very first day he started, I was over there in Perth and he was telling me all of these promises. 
and I remember being quite blunt back to him saying, yes, that's if you finish it. <laughs> and he did. He did. You he know, did. Uh, phenomenal. The combination. Some people encouraged him and some people didn't, and, and he's done it. Yeah. So does that answer your question, Father Dave? <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's great. We, we should get your son on here to tell us about his journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, like I say, I was reading this book last week, the um, Forming Intentional Disciples. Yeah, I, I think it just struck me in a whole new way how we can try to encourage people to do the church thing and somehow forget that Jesus is the one they're actually meant to be giving their life to. But mm. also just that centrality of you know, even when we talk about the, the you know the graces involved in this sort of devotion or the graces involved in the sacrament, the idea that that grace only really works if you are giving your life over to Jesus. You know, like, like the grace is the life of Christ. It's the living power of Christ. Hmm. And so if at the same time you're saying, I want to have the grace of salvation, but Jesus, you can sit over there and keep your distance because I'll do it myself. There's actually like, you know, this contradictory desires going on. Yeah, so so this sense of really surrendering your life over and saying, look, I trust you enough to believe you can do a better job with my life than I can. You know, like I, I genuinely want to follow your will and 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 love Jesus. You know, seek mm. Him in prayer. Well, yeah. So ultimately, it is Jesus we're asking those intentional questions of, and we are imitating. Yeah, I've got no doubt that Jesus can do a better job with my life than I can. I mean, I'm pretty good, but <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> It's 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 when he asks difficult stuff. I think that's where it becomes hard to believe that. Mm. Yeah, you know, I was I was preaching at the parish over the weekend about yeah we we just had the second Sunday of Lent for whenever you're actually people are going to be listening to this. It was that whole story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice oh, yeah. Isaac? Yeah, and this whole sense of Abraham genuinely having to believe the goodness of God, even though the scenario seemed completely evil and terrible. And this sense that he had to believe that God was still going to bring something good out of it, even though he couldn't make sense of what he was being asked to do. We, we have so many scenarios like that in our life. You sign up for marriage because you think marriage is going to be great, but then suddenly yeah, it's not. Yeah, it looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> 20 years down the track and you're sort of thinking, really, I'm not sure this is the right plan or... You know, yeah. how do I trust God when kids get sick? Or this know? is Father. Just in case you're listening, babe, this is Father Dave's words. It's not me. I know. I'm. <laughs> I'm just talking hypothetically. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, well, the, the, there's a flip side to this that that still ties into it. At the other end of the spectrum, and and Marty, I hope it's okay to say this, but so I, I'm going to share something of your story here. About ten years ago, you confessed to me that you were struggling to pray at that time. Yeah. And the reason was got everything you wanted you had a fantastic job you had a beautiful wife who you loved you had beautiful kids uh, you had a great home and it was a case of well i don't really need to ask for anything and and then there was that whole transition (laughs) into and i do remember at the time i said well maybe you could just give thanks and you kind of laughed at i might be good that is solid that is solid advice Yeah, but it was a case of you actually did have the really good stuff and that almost that pushed you in the same direction of mm. Yeah, how about uh not how about no compromise with the world? Mm. Mm. That reminds me of something else I read from Augustine where he's talking about 
all these other things. I think he was talking about scientific knowledge, but it fits really well with this. He says all these other things, <laughs> if you if you know that but you don't know you, my Lord, then you have nothing. And if you have all these things and you have you, my Lord, then you have everything, but no more so than if you just have you and nothing else. Mm. And I think I could appreciate that more than 10 years ago, Sam. <laughs> I often smirk when I hear about St. Thomas Aquinas getting... T- oh, sorry, was it Thomas Aquinas or St. Ignatius Loyola who wrote It's All Straw? Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. So it does all this writing, all this delving into theology, and at the, at the end of it really gets to this point of everything that I've done, all this amazing body of theology and work, it's all just straw compared to just being in relationship with God. That was after Jesus spoke to him through from the cross, I think, in the chapel. Jesus spoke to him and said, you've written well of me, Thomas. What would you have as your reward? And he said, non nisi te domine, which translates as nothing if not you, Lord. Mm. But it makes me smirk that we then set up entire degrees based around studying the work of St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. At the end of it, when you go to collect your, your degree, yeah. hand you a bit of straw. yeah well yeah that's right my grandmother my italian grandmother my nonna was the most loving human being i've ever met and she's you know very limited education we spoke english all right but not as a native speaker and stuff and she just loved us in her family and just and if you looked at her life objectively by the standards of the world you'd say you know no career, no uh, whatever, whatever we measure ourselves against, you know, fail, 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 fail. But if you look at her as a, as a grand, from a grandchild's perspective, the most successful person ever. And I think that's, that's much closer to the way God sees us than, you know, than the other way, the worldly lens. Mm. So I think we kind of really need to promote this idea of discipleship a whole lot more. Like I said, I reckon there's a whole bunch of people who, would say that they're following Jesus, but they're probably really quite comfortable because most of the time they're actually in control mm. or, they're, or they're only asking God to know God's will when they need help as opposed mm. to like, you know. <laughs> but when I have two really good options to pick from, <laughs> then <laughs> yeah. I might ask for your will, Lord. <laughs> yeah. But a bit, like, a bit like, you know, Sam was saying of your example, Marty, you know, like when, when life's very comfortable, it's easy to sit back and not feel like you actually need Jesus, as opposed mm. to saying, actually, my life belongs to God. Mm. I, I read a book years ago called The Cambridge Seven. Kind of sounds like, you know, some sort of spy thriller or something. But it, I was going to say, it, they, they sound, sounds like they robbed a bank. <laughs> yeah, I thought it sounded like, like uh, you know, The Fabulous Five or whatever that yeah, yeah, yeah. children's book is. The, the, the basic thing was this, this was uh, late 1800s. It was these seven guys who were studying at Cambridge who went through really significant conversions and became like these world-famous missionaries. But there was one of these guys particularly, Charles Studd was his name, C.T. Studd. Ah, yeah. Um, (laughs) I know him. Yeah. He was was on the English cricket team. He apparently played in the first ever Ashes series. Awesome name. And was like this famous all-rounder for cricket pretty much had the whole world at his feet. You know, he was studying at Cambridge. He was on track to become Sir Stud. <laughs> so he was like uh, he was like St. Luke, doctor, historian, gospel cricketer. writer, <laughs> you know, cricketer. <laughs> Something like that. But, yeah, no, Painter. 
I, I forget all the details of the story, but I think he, he there was a couple of traveling American preachers visiting Cambridge and uh, a friend of his invited him to go along. And he really wasn't keen, firstly, because they were preachers and secondly, because they're American. <laughs> but uh, he, I think he went along the first night and sort of sat through there, bored and distracted. And then same thing the second night. And then the third night, there was something where one of these preachers basically said, you know, yeah, I think he quoted that line from St. Peter saying, you know, you, you, you were not purchased with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And he was talking about, you know, that this idea of redemption, meaning that God has paid a price to now own you, you know, like, like he's pulled you out of the realm of evil and God now has paid the price to, to own you. And, and this guy suddenly hit this moment where he realized, well, if Jesus has paid the price to free me, therefore my life belongs to Jesus. Mm. And if I now try to take my life back to live it for myself, that's like technically stealing. Yeah. yeah. And he sort of had this logical realization and he thought, you know, I can't have it both ways. You know, I can't hope for eternal salvation because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, but at the same time, take my life back because I'm not grateful for what he did on the cross for me. Mm. And so at that point he said, okay, I'm all in. All in. The next week, apparently he had a training with the English cricket team and he invited the whole team to come out in the middle of the pitch and he explained, I'm retiring from the team. I'm going to go to China as a missionary for the rest of my life. And half the team knelt down and gave their lives to Jesus because of his witness. And <laughs> I think in the end, they, they kept him in England for a few years because he basically started this huge university ministry, which is still going, I believe. And then traveled through where well, he did a lot of time in China and then a lot of time in Africa as well. In a number of different countries through Africa. Yeah, ended up dying in China, I think. Mm. But, um... still, still lost the ashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, we have an international audience to Sons of Thunder. They're going to have no idea what you've just referred to. <laughs> Look it up. He <laughs> means they still lost the cricket. Even then, they'll probably have to check what cricket is. <laughs> <laughs> is that like croquet? It's a strange game English countries play. <laughs> so the difference between discipleship and apostleship or apostolic kind of mission, biblically, you know, there were lots of disciples, but only a small number of apostles. The words have different meanings, don't they? A, a, an apostle is someone sent out. Mm. And they were they were the first of the bishop. A disciple is someone called in. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> But just in terms of you and me now, thousands of years after that, you're still sort of called to both. Those two concepts are wrapped up together, I think. Being a disciple and surrendering and surrendering more to Jesus is inevitably going to flow out into some, some sort of mission. You know, there's, there's people around you that doesn't matter what you're called to, there'll be some element of loving others in mm. that. And it probably goes back the other way as well, where you're, in some some sort of mission where you're where you're loving others, which which could be all sorts of forms, could be you know looking after them physically or praying for people or doing podcasts or whatever, saying mass in your case, Father Dave, you know, mm. all of that. It's got to. I mean, it only makes sense in the context of. Well, actually, the I think Father Dave ticked most of those boxes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think there's something about getting those two things in the right order, though, because I've met a lot of people who are doing stuff for God but haven't necessarily come to that place of giving their whole life over to God. Or even of asking him if, if this is actually what you, what you want me to do. No, I'm, I'm doing this for you. Yeah, yeah. 
or it's like, you know, this is an exciting thing. I'm going to do this because it makes me feel good. I'm going to help people. But then next year, I'm just going to go and be back being selfish again and looking after my own needs. Whereas I think if you can really commit yourself to a time of following Jesus, like, like really walk in his, in his footsteps, learn from him, allow your heart to be transformed, and then hear where God is calling you to then use your gifting out in the world, particularly in the lay vocation where that's going to look very different for every person. But mm. there's something about really falling in love with Christ and saying, you know, I'm, I'm not just a spectator. I'm not just a fan, but I'm actually giving my whole life over to this now. That's where it transforms your, your mission or your vocation completely. And mm. that example of someone like Judas who was close physically mm. was counted amongst once the, one of the disciples yet apostles didn't, didn't make that step across. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think there's also one of the verses coming to mind is seek first the kingdom of God. You were saying earlier on, talking earlier on father Dave about making decisions and that it, it can be sometimes only at that point where we decide that we're going to seek God's wisdom or pray when we actually want something. But to seek the kingdom of God first, just in everything. And and I know that, sorry, I'm touching a little bit on a your own personal podcast here, Father Dave, where you talk about discernment. Mm. And we're making hundreds, if not thousands of decisions every day that actually have significant a significant bearing on our life, but we're not even aware of them because we're actually choosing the right decision each time without even thinking about it. Shall I stop at this red light or shall I just fang it straight through? Those sort mm. of decisions we're making and mm. a, a similar thing i feel is also true in simply being in jesus company to the extent where as we deepen in discipleship with christ and when the issues arise we're actually in a better place to see well actually the answer's obvious here it's not even something we think about we're simply continuing mm. to walk with jesus through that and inviting those around us through it first. So rather than just seeking God when trouble arises, seeking the kingdom of God at all times first, regardless of what's going on, even before trouble mm. strikes. I think it's crucial, really. It reminds me of the other end of the Bible. It talks about, um, you know, those who have more will be given to them and those who have not and what they've got will be taken away. You know, if you have Jesus, if you, if that's if that's your focus, if, if he is your number one at the expense of, number two and three and all the way down, if you get everything, ultimately, possibly in this life, possibly not, whatever, the, you know, the big, the big game, uh, you get the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm. I mean, this kind of brings us back to that great C.S. Lewis quote, which I think we've mentioned a number of times, that uh, most Christians think of God the same way a person flying a plane thinks about their parachute. It's, mm. it's, re it's really nice to know that it's there, but you hope that you never have to use it. As opposed to God being the plane. Well. <laughs> and the person sitting next to you. <laughs> yeah. Like there, there, there is this sense in which I hope for eternity. I hope that I'm going to get, you know, eternal life. But I'm really living for now. Mm. You know, my, my whole desire is to live paradise I'd, here. I'd like and, eternity, and, but and the I'll take my chances. Yeah. As, as opposed to what you're saying, Sam, you know, seek first the kingdom and then everything else will be given to you. It's like I'll take Jesus and I don't mind whatever that means mm. i do that i've told i've told <laughs> professionally i've told a number of people you you need to be really careful about how you prioritize your priorities because everyone has a number of things they want whatever you put at number one i think hold on let me just 
tap my phone so it doesn't ring. Okay, you, you, you ready? This is a good one. <laughs> I think all of us have a number of priorities and we can list them and you'll get whatever's number one on the list because you'll do what you need to to make number one work. You might get number two. You might get number three as well. You might get number four. But somewhere down there, there'll be a point where there's you know, contradiction, some conflict, and you won't get everything down your list of priorities. But you will get number one. You'll, you'll make it so you get number one. So you need to be really careful and really conscious about what you put at number one because number one will potentially compromise everything else on your list of priorities. And very important to recognize that what you think you put at number one may not actually be what you've put at number one. Yeah, you can sort of, you can tell better by your actions than your words about what you've got at number one. Mm. There's also, when I was driving along in the last hour, I was actually praying a rosary before uh, pulling over to the side of the road here on this beautiful hill. I can see a big lake out to my right-hand side. And I was thinking about discipleship because we were about to do a podcast on that. And what I did start thinking about were the people I met, particularly when I was doing the, the walk, Random people I met who spoke volumes into my journey or into my life in those moments. People who I've never met before and all of a sudden you're sitting down in these really deep conversations and there was a, an intentional discipleship with a complete stranger. There was a Father Hugo over in the United States. He asked me randomly, what do you do while you walk all the time? I said, oh, lots of things. I take photographs. I said, I pray a lot while I'm walking. I sing. I said, I th probably think about life a lot. I said, the downside of it is I've probably thought about every bad thing I've ever done, everything wrong I've ever done in life. And he cut in at that point and said, is that helpful? I said, oh, probably not. So there's, there's some days I remember where it was actually quite difficult because you know, I kind of got stuck on really poor choices. Why did I make those choices? Would I make those choices again? And we had a quite a, an in-depth chat, at which point he concluded by saying, look, Sam, I think your biggest problem is that you've forgiven those who've hurt you. By the sounds of it, they've forgiven you. You've never forgiven yourself. And if Jesus has forgiven you, who are you not to forgive yourself? And he, he gave actually some spiritual exercise for me as I walked on. Now, I've never seen that guy since, that priest. And yet that encounter in that moment has actually been something I've pass that particular advice on to people that I've met since. It wasn't just a case of, okay, I'm going to be a disciple for these people who I've chosen to now for the next 10 years and, and that's it. It was a, a case of I'm, I'm going to walk with anyone who God puts in my path. Mm. Was it St. Saint, Therese of Lisieux who used to consider an interruption in prayer as part of her prayer? Yeah. <laughs> it's not an interruption. <laughs> if it happens during prayer, in prayer, then it becomes part of the prayer. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The... Um... Thing back at the beginning, which Marty was talking about, the little bit of research he'd done. <laughs> it might, might be time to start talking about it. <laughs> this is basically, it was, it was a couple of pages in this book, Forming Intentional Disciples, which kind of blew my mind. And I said, when Marty said that he'd read the book, I said, go back and read these pages. Because it was basically talking about how if, if you haven't got to that place of really surrendering your life to Jesus, you're actually missing out on a huge chunk of the grace in the sacraments. Like all of it. <laughs> potentially all of it they, they always talk about the, the the character effect of the sacraments but then also there's the sacramental grace of of how it will actually work in your life and transform your life i think of the number of people who 
go to church on a Sunday and they receive the Eucharist and they walk out of the church and nothing's changed because they haven't actually decided to follow Jesus and give their life over to Jesus. Whereas I think if you do that, suddenly you find that the Eucharist changes you constantly every time. Yeah. But even something like in terms of marriage, you know, I was, I was just reading something over lunch today talking about, about this in, in my cramming for the episode, basically saying, you know, like, like you've got the, the, the character effect of marriage, you know, that, that you know, you get married. <laughs> and often we just think, oh, this is God blessing, you know, just the normal human love and union. But there is a whole divine grace so that you can basically do in, in that marriage what you simply cannot do by your normal human ability like in terms of your ability to love each other, love your kids, bring the divine life of God into that union, it's actually meant to divinize it. But mm. I think so many people miss that because they're really trying to just do it themselves. Like they, they haven't really given over their lives to say, Lord, work in us, you know, do, do this grace in us. Now, I think that's the, that's the key, isn't it? Jesus actually wants to make us, like he says, a new creation. He loves us as we are, but too much to leave us as we are. And his vision for you and me is so much bigger and more glorious than our vision for ourselves. And he's the only one who can do it. Not only do we not dream big enough personally, but we don't have the ability to transform ourselves, but Jesus does. And he wants to. And the primary sort of mechanism that he uses for that is the sacraments. And we can cooperate with that to some extent, or we can cooperate with it fully or to, to a larger extent at least. His grace is there available to us. And it's up, it's up to us how we how we want to receive it, really. Do we want the dregs or do we want the cup that's overflowing? Mm. And, and probably the, the, the problem there is that most people have just never seen what a life looks like when it's transformed by that, mm. by that sacramental grace or, or by that, that real act of discipleship. Because we're surrounded by pe- people like us who are holding back our lives and saying, yeah, I'll just give you yeah, 20%. That's it. I am half in. <laughs> yes. And everyone else is half in. And so that looks normal. Maybe a quarter. Yeah, well, we, maybe, we, one, maybe one seventh. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but like we, we celebrate the saints. And yet really all they did was say, they, I, I, they, yeah, they I mean, just actually want to live their Christianity. You know, they actually mm-hmm. want to love Jesus and they want to let Jesus pour out grace into their life so they can start doing amazing work. Mm-hmm. I'm reading through St. Paul's letter to Timothy at the moment and I'm reading it from a different perspective to how I've ever read it before. Normally I've read it as this is the word of God being spoken to me. That's usually how I've read it. But at the moment it wasn't intentional. This sort of happened by accident, but for whatever reason, I'm reading it as this is a letter from St. Paul to St. Timothy. They know each other. This is fraternal love. This is a letter. It's encouraging him. It's a, how are you? I hope you're really well. You know, this is a letter between friends. And they're Mm. both struggling in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And they are encouraging each other on that journey to turn towards Christ. Yeah. All I remember of that letter is it was short. (laughs) I'd have to I, read it again. <laughs> I actually love it because like if you if you sort of read between the lines in it, you sort of you start to realize, I suppose, what they're struggling about. There's that great bit where where Paul's encouraging Timothy, saying, "Don't let anyone disregard you just because you're young." And you get this impression, okay, Timothy's maybe late thirties, early forties. He's now the leader of the community, probably 
you know, what we would understand as being like the bishop. And he's got all these people just not listening to him, you know, because they're like, what does this young guy know? Paul actually gives him warnings against certain people. Yeah, yeah. But then I think it's, I think it's in 2 Timothy. I reckon it's one of, the, one of the saddest lines in the whole of Paul's letters where he, he's talking about all the hardships he's gone through. And he talks about one of his closest followers, this guy, Damus, who has fallen in love with the world and abandoned him. Mm. And that always fascinates me because I think, well, who is this guy, Damus? He, like, he, he's been traveling with one of the best preachers in Christian history. Ever. He would have seen Paul working miracles. Mm. And yet even there, he's just got discouraged and decided to go off and try and make some money in some other town and you know, live the high life, you know, and um, mm. walked away could, from Christ. Could, it's funny, the, the first thing that popped into my mind wasn't one of discouragement, but I, the first thing I thought of was, well, I wonder if he fell in love with the, the fame or the accolade. Yeah, maybe. There have been many preachers through history who have been caught in that trap. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. is that part of the intentional discipleship of, of, of uh, ensuring each other doesn't fall into those traps? Well, mm. the, the, this particular book uh, basically tries to map out the stages of conversion that a person goes through. And it starts to ask questions about how should that influence the way that we do evangelization? You know, m- most of our evangelization traditionally has been about just teach people the faith, give them catechesis. Whereas this is trying to say, you know, in a, in a postmodern world where we actually just need to stir up curiosity. We need to get people questioning. Mm. And so, yeah, like there, there, there is a point in terms of discipleship or how we encourage each other. Like we, we've got to help each other stay on track. But I think there's also something of just asking really good questions mm. and, and particularly where people are doubting to realize that doubt is sometimes the beginning of faith. You know, I've, I've met so many young people who say, oh, I think I'm losing my faith because I'm asking too many questions where actually you've just graduated from, you know, stage one hmm. and you're actually maturing in your faith to the point where you're asking the right questions and, and you need hmm. good people around to take you deeper into that. Hmm. Because we shouldn't be scared of the answers. No. Well, yeah, particularly, particularly if the answers make us question our own faith. You hmm. know, and I think that's why often people are saying, oh, I'll go and read this book and that'll sort you out. We just try and lead them back to more catechesis. But maybe, maybe they've actually got to sit in the doubt for a bit and... Hmm. And wrestle through it. You embrace the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> the darkness, darkness. rises. Okay. <laughs> you can't tell from labels how evangelized people are, how much someone is committed to Jesus. You can't tell from just saying, oh, you know, you are you Christian? Yeah, I'm Christian. What does that mean? It's only when you can get into a deeper conversation. Do you go to Mass? Yeah, I go to Mass. How is Jesus working in your life? You know, it's only when you get into that where you can actually find out where people are really, really at, whether it's a superficial, you know, or a cultural kind of thing or a, or, mm. or a deeper faith. I've met someone recently, Marty, where it did cross my mind that there was a very good chance that this person who, from outward appearances, devout Catholic. And then the more we got chatting, the more I thought, devout Catholic, but disagrees with everything the church teaches, disagrees with most things scripture teaches they are, they are the same pray mm. so what do we define as being christian but then also having to acknowledge everyone's actually on that spectrum it's it's easier to see it when it's further it's so far removed from our own personal experience but then having to acknowledge that each of us to an extent does this it's easier to recognize faults in other people yeah yes mm. But a lot of people have never, particularly in the Catholic Church, 
a lot of people have never really come to this place of knowing God personally. Mm. Like you can do a lot of good stuff in the church because you trust the church and, you know, you love what the church stands for, but there can be so many things stopping you from ever trusting God or believing that it's possible to actually know God. Mm. Mm. A, a concept, a philosophical concept. Yeah, but mm. uh, and, and that also feeds into this. It's it's much easier to have somewhat small commitment to, uh, you know, some social justice causes or something, call it Christianity. But that's that's not that's not what Jesus did. He's not, it's not what he promises. And it's so far short of what he, you know, invites us to. Come and <laughs> say, go and be like me. I died for other people. <laughs> Are you in? Are you all in now? And nor did he walk around simply telling people what they were doing wrong. No, and he's got a crown ready for you too. I think we'd better um, say a prayer, eh? Sorry, what was the crown comment? Jesus, he's got a crown. He's got a crown. He says in Revelation, he's got a crown for you. He's got a crown. He's got a nickname. He's got a throne. It's all waiting for you, for those for those who persevere to the end. Which... I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a nickname. <laughs> Persevering to the end probably involves wearing the same crown that he wore while while on earth as well. Yeah, it's less um less enticing when you see that. Yes. <laughs> All right, off with the headphones, on with the thorns. Hmm. So, are you leading us in a final prayer, Marty? Is that what no? You I wanted you to, Father Dave. I wanted you to. I, I I had this vision of you praying for people being able to become disciples and um and that the Lord would allow disciples into their lives. And allow us all to grow in faith and to do his will properly. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, whatever Marty said, make that happen. Amen. Amen. Our Lady Queen of Peace. Pray for pray us. For us. <laughs> Lord, pray your blessing on us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 <laughs> That's great. We can just outsource. Outsource all our prayers to you, Marty. <laughs> you tell us what we'll pray for, and we'll just say, second that. Copy, paste. <laughs> I thought that was gold. <laughs> <laughs>